It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is HudsonRiverRadio.com. I'm Linda Zimmerman. I'm Michael Wharton. And this is Murder in the Hudson Valley on HudsonRiverRadio.com. And welcome, everyone. We have a case and a half tonight. Nothing like uh, serial killer cases there, Brian. What could cheer you up more than serial killers? <laughs> Killing. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to answer that. Nobody and... can stop it. Just one. No. Well, um, I am Linda Zimmerman, and in the studio is Brian Harwitz. And um, you looking forward to this bizarre episode? I, I am always disturbed by anything you bring to the table. <laughs> I always thank you. I think I'm prepared, and I'm not, no matter what. So <laughs> <laughs> you never know where I will strike. Good to know. Um, before we get into our cold case, I want to give a special hello to Terry in California. She is a new listener. So hi, Terry. Welcome. Hi, Terry. Aboard. Watch your back. <laughs> so the cold case I have goes back to 1971, but you know, the, sometimes the older they are, the more they bother me because it means friends, relatives have most likely passed on with no clue what happened. Mm -hmm. So we go back to Wednesday, November 17th, 1971. Eddie's service station, uh, it's a Texaco station in Wappingers, New York, on the uh, intersection of Route 9 and 29. State police come and find the body of the night attendant, 54-year-old Leonard Monette of Wingdale. His body's in the storeroom. He has severe head injuries and has been stabbed in the back. Um, they believe it was a robbery attempt gone by bad. Now, 54-year-old guy working the night shift, what's he making? Minimum wage? Yeah, if he's lucky. Right? And, and and dying for this. Right. I mean, what and how much could they have gotten? I mean, this is one of those senseless things that cost somebody their life. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to highlight this case well first of all the state police are still bringing up this case they're not letting it rest and they have a really good uh very creepy looking sketch of the suspect uh white male sunken in cheeks kind of protruding eyes uh it amazes me that in all these decades no one has looked at that and said well obviously that's you know whoever 
it's a very distinctive sketch if it's accurate and if that's the person who it was so please go to um look up just type google uh leonard manette murder and uh the sketch will come up if you know anything if somebody uh deathbed confession friend of a friend said something uh, contact the State Bureau of Criminal Investigation at 845-677-7300 and refer to case SJS, that's Sam Jim Sam, number 3018564. So again, that's the murder of Leonard Manette in Wappingers in 1971. Um yeah, I mean, what's the point of killing this poor guy? Um, it's insane. You know, I mean, 1971, the, the chances of them having closed-circuit cameras would be pretty low. I, I don't think they were very common back then. Was there was there a witness, do you know, or how did well, they get that sketch? I don't, that I don't know. Um, I, I didn't look into this case too deeply, and I don't know if it's something that they were just trying to keep the the witness under wraps. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure. All I know is they have a pretty damn good sketch if it's the person, if it's accurate. Mm -hmm. And maybe even today someone can say, oh, wow, that looks like Uncle Joe or, you know. Yeah, you would hope some, it would spark a memory. I mean, yeah, just... my cousin had a friend who, you know, something, something. So please yeah. take a few minutes to look up this case and maybe maybe you can uh, finally bring some closure to this so um before we jump into the landscape killer case which is a lot Oof. you're going to need scorecards everyone <laughs> All right. um let's uh take our first break and we'll be right back hudsonriverradio.com your local rockland county station hudsonriverradio.com home to your favorite local shows like The Sports Report, The Silver Screen, and Do the 45. Catch them live and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming app. HudsonRiverRadio.com, your local Rockland County station. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you ever get that strange feeling that you're not alone? Is someone or something watching you? Is it your cat? Is it that weird neighbor again? Or is it something else? Join me, Gail Newcomb, for Paranormally Yours. We'll be exploring the unexplained and the mysterious from all around the Hudson Valley. Join me for Paranormally Yours on the first Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. 
right here on HudsonRiverRadio.com. HudsonRiverRadio.com. And we are back. Um, so I, I usually give a uh, disclaimer for our our more disturbing cases, but I, 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 as you as you usually say, Brian, most of these are disturbing. So if if you don't know by now that there's going to be some, it's it's a show about murders. There's it's very difficult to take a pleasant angle on the topic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so. Um, Normally, the way I, I usually operate these cases is we talk about the discovery of a body. Now, this is a little different. Um, we are certainly starting with a crime, um, but not quite a homicide. So we are, um, as I had said a couple of shows ago, I'm going to start expanding some our territory a bit. I know it's murder in the Hudson Valley, but all right, we're going to Toronto, Canada because this case is just remarkable and worth talking about. And actually, ha- it's it's eerily similar to, uh, I don't know if you remember the Richard Rogers Last Call Killer uh, case. Yep. If you don't know that, listen to it. And I'm actually going to do a rare plug. It's in my book, uh, Hudson Valley Homicide. So I saw a lot of, there's, there's going to be a lot of points where you you say, how did they not get this guy? Or how did he get away with that? But serial killers are charming. That's, that's They're charming part- and the facts come together after after the case. You know, when you're looking back with 2020 hindsight, everything seems obvious. And, it, and it, we right. see that all the time. So, yeah, you know, and, you have you know, to remember that these things are put together moving forward. You're getting pieces of the puzzle and you have to put them together. And then after you're looking backwards and of course it all makes sense. Yes. But. Yeah. And, and, you know, in the heat of the moment with these cases and tips coming in, you can have hundreds of tips. You can have 200 people who might be a viable suspect. So yeah, retrospect is wonderful, but we don't have retrospect detectives. Um, that's what he, we're here to do. So, all right, we're in Toronto, Canada. It's noon on Halloween in 2001, and it's in an area called the Gay Village, which is self-explanatory. And 36-year-old Mark Henderson is going into his apartment building. It's one of those, you know, if you don't have the key, you have to be buzzed in. Mm-hmm. And there's a man, just as he's going into the apartment building, there's a man behind him. So he just holds the door open for him to come in. And he's going down the hallway towards his apartment. This guy is following him and he's thinking, all right, he's going to visit somebody. He's not thinking at all. He puts the key in his door. He starts to unlock it and he feels this excruciating pain in his head. Blow after blow to his head. He, he turns and sees what he described as the look of rage on his attacker's face who is repeatedly hitting him with a metal pipe, just completely out of the blue. Now, this guy is a nurse. He feels that he, he has got sustained a compressed fracture of the skull. He sees the cerebrospinal fluid and blood streaming out. This is very serious. You were, you were in the medical field. Um, 
This yeah, is... when you know enough of what's going on and it's happening to you. Oof. <laughs> what else yeah, can you and, say? And at that point, you know, death could be imminent. Mm-hmm. You have a compressed skull fracture, your fluids coming out of your brain, uh, your head. Um, and the guy is still hitting you, smashes his hand, fractures a finger. Um, fortunately, he the, the, the attacker runs off. He manages to crawl in and call the police. And they say, you know, do you have any idea who did this to you? And he said, yes, I've seen this guy around. I know the man's name is Bruce, Mac- Bruce MacArthur. He's a member of the gay community. Well, why did he do this to you? I I have no idea. So you think there's going to be quite the manhunt for this? I mean, I I would call this attempted murder. It's definitely a crime. Yes, it's definitely a crime. But unfortunately, you have a victim who identified a suspect. You can't get much better than that. Right. So you think there's going to be this big manhunt. But MacArthur leaves the crime scene and immediately turns himself in. This is very strange. He claims he doesn't remember much about the attack. That's a we. How many times do we hear that? Mm-hmm. Blacking um, out. Right. <laughs> and he claims, look, I had a previous relationship with this guy, Mark Henderson. I thought when he held the door open for me, that meant we were going to have sex. So be careful who you hold a door open for. You never know what they're thinking. Um, And when it didn't turn out he was going to have sex with him, he got angry and started hitting him with a metal pipe. Now, what what question comes to your mind at this point? What's he doing Uh, with a metal pipe? Right. (laughs) Right? Uh, Well, it's one of many questions, but yes, Yes, that's that's one of many. Mm -hmm. So like... Back in the day, Brian's going on a hot date. Did you bring a metal pipe with you? Well, who didn't? (laughs) Who didn't? I mean, this just, the story's ridiculous. Of course. Right? That, you know, but the cops are like, well, all right, we'll, you know, we'll talk to this guy. Um, Fortunately, he survives uh, in the hospital, a real mess, six weeks of rehabilitation just to get back on his feet emotionally scarred for life who wouldn't be you're suddenly sure almost beaten to death um macarthur's charged with i love this count weapons dangerous sounds like a title for a british novel right (laughs) it does (laughs) right weapons dangerous uh assault causing bodily harm so the case goes to trial henderson can't even go he's so traumatized he doesn't even want to be in the same room so he's waiting out in the hall during the trial in 2003 where in court records henderson is referred to as the male hustler so kind of degrading him Mm -hmm. um at this point uh apparently in his youth he did do some male escorting but he was currently a nurse and also an actor um, he, he never had a relationship with MacArthur. He had no idea why the attack happened. Um, and, and back then there was not a good relationship between law enforcement and the gay community. 
um, which we've seen all around mm -hmm. for how long. So MacArthur, again, so here he, he does this brutal unprovoked attack, turns himself in, he, tur he turns around and pleads guilty and apologizes. You know, I, I lost my temper. It was, you know, I thought we were going to have sex. Uh, the psych evaluation, now write this down, ladies and gentlemen. The psych evaluation, in its infinite wisdom, said he was unlikely to reoffend. Okay. Now he's facing 10 years for this assault. The judge, however, says, says, you know, this is his quote, you made a mistake on this particular day, but it sounds to me like you're a pretty good person. And it sounds to me like you're not going to be back here. I hope you get some help and enjoy your life. Okay? How that nice. Seems, yes. Doesn't that seem a little friendly for someone who well, bashed in? It's Canada. Um, They're known for being friendly. So. Uh, so instead of 10 years in prison, serving hard time where he should have been, he gets one year house arrest. So he gets to sit on his couch and watch television for a year. He's banned from the gay village for two years and three years probation. That's it. Henderson is stunned in his family. It's a slap on the wrist. He has to live in fear the rest of his life because that guy's still out there. And, you know, unless you're going to move to another country or another part of the country, you're your potential murderer is still there. Is he going to finish off the job at any any point? Um, and we're going to get to this a little later, but in, in case I forget, because we have so much to cover, um, MacArthur does something very clever. Since it was just a house arrest and a simple assault, in 2014, after something very serious happens, he's actual actually able to get a pardon and get his record expunged. So the whole incident is then cleared off the radar. And this is going wow. to be, yes, wow indeed. Mm -hmm. So after this incident in 2001, um, he serves his, his year under house arrest. Things are quiet for a little while until men start disappearing. So why don't we take our second break and get into um, the real horror of this case? We'll be right back. Listen to HudsonRiverRadio.com. Don't make us come and find you. HudsonRiverRadio.com, home to your favorite local shows like the Richter Observatory, All About the Money, and the Dad Rock Show. Catch them live and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming app. HudsonRiverRadio.com, your local Rockland County station. You like sports and you don't care who knows. So come join me, Chris the Intern, every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. for the Sports Report with Chris the Intern. We'll be talking about everything going on in sports today, a little bit of sports history, and take some calls so you can join in on the discussion. The Sports Report with Chris the Intern every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. only on HudsonRiverRadio.com. HudsonRiverRadio.com, your local Rockland County station. 
And we're back after steaming during the <laughs> commercial break. Yeah, did you so enjoy Bron- your life during the break? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Do you believe what that judge said? Uh, you know, I, I was I was saying, you know, that's that's what the judge called a mistake. It, it's it's inconceivable how you almost murder a guy. You you literally crush somebody's skull. Right. Even without knowing what's coming, that alone is such a serious crime to to beat a person up to that degree. Yep. And it's totally unprovoked. Pro- pro- yeah. Yeah. A mistake. All right. Well, before we get into um, the depth of this case, who is Bruce MacArthur? Well, if you see his pictures, he had a big smile. Um, he was actually a uh, a shopping mall Santa. And you could say, oh, well, obviously he must be a nice guy. But let's remember John Wayne Gacy as Pogo the Clown with his 33 victims. So... Um, yeah, it's a good way to hide. Serial killers like to hide in plain sight with, you know, married, have kids, uh, clowns, Santas, you know, who would suspect yeah. uh, Santa Claus of being a serial killer? Well, everybody should at this point. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. After listening to this show. Mm hmm. So he was born uh, October 8th, 1951, in a town of Lindsay, Ontario. Um, He lived on a farm. He had a sister, but he also, his parents fostered uh, troubled youth. And at any point, there could be up to 10 troubled kids living there at a time. So that, for a young boy growing up, that's... Probably a tough road to hoe there, having, you know, all of these strange yeah, a kids. full day of school dealing with everything and then coming home when you're supposed to be able to relax and being surrounded by people who Trouble. can't behave. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's, it's yeah. it was nice of the parents to do that because not how many people would take that on? So. Well, I'm I'm suspecting they did it for the money um, because the father was a highly abusive drunk. And Bruce used to have to put his sister in a room and lock the door to protect her from him. And he used to get beaten. And God knows what happened to all the troubled youth. So, um, again, I am not not in the least going to excuse what he did. But how many times do we find these serial killers, mass murderers, have been abused as children? Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't fit in in school, um, and it said he used to inform on the other kids just so he could be teacher's pet. Uh, so he was he was trying his best to uh, to fit in somewhere. Knew he was gay at an early age, um, and in Canada until 1969, same sex. Uh, having sex with a member of your sex, you know, men with men, women with women, it was illegal until 1969. You could be arrested for having sex with the person you loved because they were the same sex as you. So, boy, you know, he's got a terrible childhood. He's gay with an abusive father. And if he comes out saying he, you know, his true feelings you you find you realize you can go to jail yeah you're a criminal so um 
obviously he learns to hide things and hide things very well. Um, one thing that surprised me, he won singing contests as a, in his youth. So um, he knew he was gay. He tries to hide it. So he starts dating Janice Campbell in high school and that, you know, they get, it's a great cover. Uh, he marries her at, at age 23, pretty young, and they have a little girl and a little boy. In 1973, he begins working at Eaton's Department Store in downtown Toronto. You ever been to Toronto? Long time ago. I, yeah. I don't even remember it. It was oh, yeah. ages a, and ages ago. But yeah, As cities go, it's a pretty nice city. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, where Eaton's, now this is important, where Eaton's department store is, was just a few blocks from Young Street, be Young, that's Y-O-N-G-E, Young Street between College and Wellesley, which is where the gay village is. And guess what? During that time period, after he began working there, um, Many men went missing and sev- many were found beaten to death. And we'll get we'll get back. We will circle back to that as the <laughs> phrase goes. Uh, 1978, he becomes a traveling salesman. Uh-oh. The last thing you want to hear with serial killers is that they're truck drivers, traveling salesmen, because then they have a territory all across the country. And alibis um, to help them cover up. Yes, absolutely. Wow. And like you were saying with the, the cold case, maybe it was somebody just passing by mm-hmm. and you're trying to solve a crime in, uh, you know, near a truck stop in Indiana. Well, what if the guy just drove through and was there for a total of an hour? Um, and is long you know. gone. Who knows where? Right. Yep. Right. So in the early 90s, he finally starts having having open, well, he starts having affairs with men. Uh, he apparently did not voluntarily come out of the closet. Somebody outed him to his wife, which. I don't uh, think that would be a big surprise. I, uh, denial can only take you so far. I'm yes. sure his wife wasn't exactly floored by the news. Uh, and is as is evidenced by the fact they continued to live together. But there were other people who hadn't known, you know, friends and family. So that it did it did cause him troubles. Mm-hmm. And then there were other troubles for the MacArthur's because their son Todd at this point was obsessively making obscene phone calls to women he didn't know. Perhaps the acorn didn't fall far from the tree. No, it um, did not. So little troubled there himself. All the legal fees, they ended up having to declare bankruptcy. Um, they did finally get separated and divorced in 97. And he finally decided to live as an openly gay man, moved to an apartment uh, in Toronto in the gay community. And he joined a dating service called Recon, which was a gay fetish dating service. And he was in his listing was looking for submissive men 
uh, and he became known for his uh, bondage, S&M, and very, very rough sex. He clearly liked to be in control, which serial killers, when there's a sexual aspect, I think people focus on the sex part too much. I think it's all about having the power of life and death, and the sex is just a part of that. Um, I don't want to get too far into the mind of a serial killer. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a scary place to go. But clearly, uh, correct, that's that's what a lot of it is all that's, about. Yeah, absolutely. You're you're the one in charge. You know, right. It's a role reversal from when they were growing up and they had no power. Now they have all of it. Wow. Yeah, that's a good point. Considering his his upbringing, mm -hmm. um, he was he was completely powerless. So uh, by this point, he starts uh, deciding he's going to start a landscaping business. And um, in 2011, uh, somebody had looked at his Facebook page and realized he was very much into South Asian and Middle Eastern men which is something to keep in mind. He does start a landscaping business called Artistic Designs, and he's working all over, all over Toronto and the area, um, hundreds of clients, which is going to play a big role. Uh, clearly, what do landscapers do? They dig holes in the ground. A useful skill for a serial killer. I'm going to guess uh, you he bet. put his skills to use. Yeah, I don't need to foreshadow this too mm -hmm. heavily. Um, and again, he was charming, big smile. He charmed wealthy old lady clients all around. He just, uh, he was doing well. And as I had mentioned before, he was a Santa at, and you know, in the cold months. He worked as Santa at the Agincourt Mall. Um, he used to give flowers to charity. Uh, people just said he was the sweetest, nicest, most giving man. Um, somebody who could easily live a double or triple life for whatever it, whatever it took. Mm -hmm. They're like chameleons. So in 2014, um, Todd, his son, has now finished a 14-month jail cell uh, jail term for more obscene phone calls. The judge, in his infinite wisdom, um, grants him, uh, you know, says, all right, you can get out, but you have to live and work with your father. What a great role model. I, I'm surprised somebody went to jail for phone calls alone. Right. He got he, a harsher sentence. Than his father did for beating the brains out of somebody with a metal pipe. That I, you know, that escaped me previously mm -hmm. taking these notes. You are right. What is wrong with the legal systems of the world? You're absolutely right. 14 months for obscene for phone, phone calls. calls. Right. Uh, house arrest, no jail time for attempted murder. So um, here's our disturbed son now living with his highly disturbed father. And it was a little awkward for Todd's friends um, because in, in his father's bathroom, his father, uh, the, he's, the walls were covered with photos of his male friends with erections. So 
to some people would be a little disturbing going into your friend's home and seeing what the father had all I, over I the I can't walls. think of a wallpaper that would be more custom than that one. <laughs> I, I, I have no response for that. So, hey, you know, it, you know, it's one thing if you want to have those privately, but if your son's living with you and your son's friends are coming over, maybe a little more. Discretion. Yeah, that's a little over the top. Just, mm-hmm. just a bit. Just a bit. Okay. And we're talking in the 2000s at this point. Right. right? So put them on your phone. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Don't, don't necessarily print them and hang them on the wall. for Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's get into the super serious part now. September 6th, 2010. 40-year-old Skanda Navaratnam. Um who was um, a, an immigrant from Sri Lanka, no family in Canada. He worked for Bruce MacArthur in his uh, landscaping business. He goes missing. Um, then just a couple of months later, later, December of 2010, 42-year-old Abul Basi Faiza, um, he was an Afghan immigrant. He had a family, a wife and kids, who had no clue he was gay. And so he was living a double life. He said he was going out to go drinking with some friends or something like that. Never came home. So they had no idea even where he was headed. October of 2012, Majid Kaihan, who's 58 years old, also was leading a double life, had a wife and kids. Um, He also worked for MacArthur and was known to have had a sexual relationship with him. Well, all three of these men go missing on those dates. Now, there's a bit of a red herring here, quite a big big red herring. Um, Interpol in Switzerland gets a tip from somebody that there was a cannibal loose in Toronto and this cannibal was kidnapping men, killing them and eating them. So a huge task force is being formed and they're thinking, well, this is where these three men must have gone. So nobody's looking at Bruce McCandless, uh, MacArthur, even though he, two of these men worked for him and he had, an acknowledged relationship with at least one. Uh, But there's a cannibal out there. Uh, After God knows how much wasted time, um, it was a false lead. It turned out to be a child pornography ring um, that they did bust, but no cannibalism was involved. So they finally decide to form a task force, Project Houston, as in Houston, we have a problem. They Mm -hmm. finally realize they have a problem. But no bodies. What what do you do? No evidence. No evidence a crime has been committed. No bodies. Had these guys just gone back to their wives? Had they gone back to their own countries? You know, we always, you know, Mike always used to say these killers like to prey on the vulnerable you know, the ones that people won't miss. The outcasts, yeah, yeah. The, the, the people outcasts. with as few connections to society as possible, yeah. Right, right. They may have, I don't know 
specifically with these people, but you know, you, you have day laborers that work for landscapers. So yeah, they work for them, but was there a payroll? Were they paid in cash and that was it? Was it day to day? So yeah, were they an employee? Yes. Is there a record of it? Maybe not. Maybe that's Maybe why not. they weren't able to connect it because they may have been just paid in cash and sent on their way. Yeah. Yeah. So in 2013, MacArthur actually was questioned, but on his record, well, he had a minor assault, but didn't serve any jail time. And it's at this point he realizes, uh oh, that's when he gets his record expunged right after he's he starts working right after the police question him. And they kind of let him slide because he had no jail time. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, I knew a couple of these guys, you know, but everybody did. It was a small community. Everybody knew everybody else. So, you know, had it been in the records that he served 10 years for attempted murder, maybe you take a harder look. But at this point, here's another one of those in retrospect um opportunities that slide by plus you know he's an older man he's a grandfather he's a he's a mall santa right he's Come a local on. businessman he's, yeah. yeah he plants yep. flowers what could he do yeah exactly he gives flowers to old ladies and charities so all right so that opportunity slides by 2015 victim four and five go missing 50 year old sarush mamudi who was an iranian refugee and 37 year old kurushna oh boy kanagarantnam um he was from sri lanka seeking asylum and he was going to be deported well what a surprise he disappears you know, everybody thinks uh, he went into the wind. He doesn't want to go back to Sri Lanka. Right, right. So what What a great victim It doesn't to arouse target. suspicion, right? You expect him to disappear. Right, mm -hmm. exactly. Number six comes in April of 2016. Dean Lisowick, little different. He was, um, he was not an immigrant. He was a drug addict, sex worker, homeless. No one even reported him missing at the time. 43-year-old, because of his lifestyle, he was an disappears. Outcast. But yeah, outcast, no one reports him missing. June of 2016. Okay, now here's, here's a big red flag opportunity. There is a 911 call. You can actually find this online. A man's yelling to the dispatcher, he tried to strangle me to death. And wh who, what, what happened? He tried to strangle, he was choking me, he tried to, well, do you know who did this to you? Yes, his name is Bruce. So uh, Bruce MacArthur and this unnamed man, he puts him in the back of, he gets him in the back of his van. They're getting you know getting very friendly and suddenly he starts choking him almost kills him the guy manages to break away um calls for help but what does macarthur do what do you think macarthur does it does he run probably says he was defending himself from being he attacked immediately right? turns himself in mm -hmm. i did this you you have to hand it to this guy he's not trying to hide he goes right to the police station i did nothing wrong it was a lover spat we got a little out of control 
the pol- you know, it was rough sex. Uh, you know how these things go. Couple gay guys having rough sex. This is exactly what Richard Rogers got away with in the case in New York. Look, you know, maybe I got a little carried away. Um, no charges were filed because at this point in 2016, he has no record at all because he had it, it expunged. expunged. Brilliant, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Oh, an act of genius. So here it was a he said, he said, um, and who's going to re- you know believe this guy who was having sex in the back of the van um, with this other guy who, you know, it was mutual rough sex and that's it. So no charges. Okay. Number seven uh, disappears in April of 2017. Selim Essam, uh, he's Turkish immigrant. He is a drug user. So it's kind of suspicious he's missing. But again, we know he does drugs. Maybe he overdosed somewhere. You know, there's always the question. But now we're piling up. Then comes number eight. And this is where, uh, if we want to say MacArthur made a mistake, um, he probably made a mistake in this point. June of 2017, Andrew Kinsman, 49 years old, goes missing. Um, He was known to be a very stable guy, and he had an old cat. Everyone swore he would never leave his cat. And all his stuff was still in his apartment. So immediately, finally, he is immediately reported missing. For You know, it took number eight to finally find a victim. Um, so there was now the Project PRISM task force. And remember Mark H- Henderson, who was beaten way back when, 2001, he calls the tip line to tell them about MacArthur. And then a second time when there was like a task force meeting, he goes to tell them about MacArthur and no one listened. No one listened at that Because there were no charges on record, right? no charges on record. Nothing. Um, You know, it's, again, this this retro, you know, in hindsight, um, on Kinsman's calendar, the day he disappeared... Uh, he had written the name Bruce. All right. So they start talking to people and they say, yeah, he was known to have a relationship with Bruce MacArthur. They check video for the surrounding neighborhood and a red 2004 Dodge Caravan shows up. Well, there happened to be 6,000 of them in Ontario. (laughs) Yeah, right? Um, but only five, uh, that probably fit the bill, the red, the, you know, mm-hmm. um, and only one was to somebody who, when talked to said, yeah, you know, I remember he did have an assault. It's not on the record. And that was Bruce, Bruce MacArthur. So now he's on the radar. Um, they go to find the van and realize he doesn't own it anymore. Well, what has he done with it? You know, he he's smart. Mm-hmm. He knows they might be on to him. Mm-hmm. So they check all the 
the salvage yards, the wrecking yards, and they find the caravan. Fortunately, it had not been crushed yet, uh, which is what he was hoping to. So they go to the, you know, they talk to the owner and he said, yeah, I remember the guy selling it to me. And it was kind of weird. We, we offered him $125 and he didn't even argue, just took it and left. Um, you know, you usually negotiate. A working vehicle that, yes. you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. You don't usually well, bring the working vehicle to the junkyard. <laughs> right, right. So they thought that was a little odd, but what the hell, mm-hmm. you know, they start stripping some of the stuff. But the police are able to find, they said, the tiniest little, like, pencil point of blood that tested positive for Andrew Kinsman. Now, you'd like to say, oh, well, we're going to a restaurant. But if you were a defense attorney and you knew your client had a sexual relationship with Andrew Kinsman in that van, a tiny, tiny speck of blood is probably explainable. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Scratch, a paper cut or anything. Rough sex. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So not enough. So they decide, well... We have to get in his apartment. You know, we're, we don't want to tip him off yet. We we still have no bodies. We have no bodies. What are you going to do? Tiny spot of blood is going, you know, y- you have to be working this case. You really have to hand it to the police at this point. Um, they get a warrant to go into his apartment. They said he was a real creature of habit, would, uh, you know, go off to work and be gone all day. So he goes off to work, they go running into his apartment, and they're just starting to go through things. They start cloning his uh, computer. So I guess that is backing up or making a mirror image of yeah, yep, copying the hard files drive. to another, yeah, to an external yeah. or to another laptop, yeah. Right. And then they get a call from the people watching MacArthur. He's on his way back. He, he, he never came home early. So they have 10 minutes to, they only clone half the computer. They're running like mad. They said it was like a Hollywood scene. They, they just run out of his apartment and lock it up in time for him to get home. So is there anything they find? Well, yes. They start finding photos of dead men in his bed. These were, these were photos he had thought he had erased, but were still retrievable. Mm-hmm. There's erasing, there's deleting, and then there's getting rid of you them You need completely. to take, right, just dragging something to the trash or the recycle bin it does not remove it from your hard drive. It removes it from the menu. It doesn't remove it from the hard drive. You need to take specific extra steps in order to erase something like that. Right. So they find a picture of Salim Essen, um, who is dead in his bed. Uh, They also find a photo of dead Andrew Kinsman. And these were not just just post-mortem photos. He was dressing them up, posing them into degrading positions because... Wow, that's the power you have over this this person still. You can still, even though they're dead, you can do all these horrible things to them because you're in control. So they realize, okay, 
he's he's obviously murdered or at part of the murder of these two they don't know is there a ring of people doing this so they need to start uh this huge investigation becomes the biggest investigation in toronto history but you don't you don't want to arrest the guy too soon correct you want to have a good case especially something like this this is a big one right you don't want to leave anything to uh to chance and with this many victims you you really want to make sure you get them all mm -hmm. so the orders were follow him 24 hours a day and the last thing you let happen is for him to bring a man into his apartment which is his killing field mm -hmm. so on january 18th the officers who are watching him see him pick up a young man from the street and they go into his apartment and they call headquarters, oh, yes, we have, you know, everything stops, we need to get him now. Um, there's a story how he lived, you know, MacArthur's apartment was on the 19th floor. There's one elevator, it's slow, it's packed. All these police are trying to get up there before it's too late. And they're going to bust the door in, but they, well, let's knock. They knock, MacArthur answers, yeah, can I help you? And they rush in. And there was this man, uh, naked, tied to the bed, a bag over his head, about to become victim number nine. So at least, at least he was saved. Um, so now they start going through everything. They find post-mortem photos of just about everybody. They find trophies, uh, Skanda's bracelet, uh, notebooks art trophies you know mm -hmm. articles of belongings clothing or jewelry or yeah something they keep right right so they have the trophies they have the post-mortem photos what do they still not have still no bodies yet still no bodies but as we said he used to dig in dirt for a living uh he's a landscaper so they go to this house uh in leeside where a woman by the name of Karen Frazier um, made an agreement with him uh, in exchange for him storing all his landscape equipment there and he'd have lunch there with his with his workers. He would trim her, like, cut her grass, and he also volunteered to plant all these big planters of flowers for her. You know where this is going. Mm -hmm. So... It's uh, it's February, you know, it's January in Toronto. I was just there last <laughs> January. In it Toronto. gets chilly up there it's if you've just never a been. Bit nippy, yeah, a bit nippy. So they bring in the cadaver dogs, and the dog actually leaps on top of the planter and is clawing it. You know, that's a big hit. So it's it's frozen. So they bring this this huge several feet around planter it takes like five guys to you know full of dirt you, you know these planters are so heavy mm -hmm. they take it to have it x-rayed and guess what shows up on the x-ray a human rib cage mm. and now they realize this is where he's put the bodies he didn't want to get rid of them uh these planters were arranged around the picnic table where they used to eat every day and they contained all the remains he didn't want he wanted trophies he wanted photos and he wanted to keep his victims with him they were Ev right they were 
not quite buried. They were above ground, retrievable in a plant. With pretty flowers on top. And close by, physically close by. Physically close by. Every day he sat there and ate lunch, surrounded by the planters with the, the victims. Now, there were hundreds of planters across Toronto that he had worked on. Hundreds of properties. Can you imagine the, the task force necessary? And it's for, you have to wait for, you know, you either x-ray or you have to put them in a, they were making heated tents and they're finding bits and pieces all over the place in these planters. It's just horrific. And they, they talked to Karen Frazier later and she's like, there, there was absolutely no indication that he was a killer. He was the sweetest, nicest guy. And then she's trying to think, I used to water the flowers in those planters. And and that's where Ugh. body parts were. And now it's, she's got to live with that too on top of she everything has else. To, I mean, this, you know, it's one thing to be a serial killer. You leave the body, you dump the body. This web, this guy... Uh, you know, wove was, it's just so beyond sick. It, it, well, you know, it's composting, but not the right kind. <laughs> no, I bet the, you know, how does your garden grow um, on, on, on the victims? That's, it's, it's bizarre. So they, they quickly find dismembered skeletal remains of three men. Um, February 8th, they find three more body parts and planters um, they start seizing planters all across. And, and can you imagine, you hear on the, the news, Bruce MacArthur, serial killer, burying things in planters, and you look and out and he was your bro- landscaper. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. So imagine. they are seizing planters everywhere, slowly start um, uh, identifying remains. February 23rd, they now have up to uh, six counts of first-degree murder. March 7th, the set of seventh set of remains um, is found. April 16th, uh, they find the eighth body in a garbage can. Just uh, there's a little ravine behind that property where he had his equipment. Um, just five feet over the ravine, you know, who mm-hmm. was going to look there? So uh, he's he's under suicide watch in 2018 at the Toronto South Detention Center. His first court appearance was on the 19th of January. A lawyer, Marianne Salee. How would you like to have this case? No, thank you. No, <laughs> no, no. No. There are 10,000 pages of material. They said it would probably be years before they'd be ready for trial. You know, it's one thing finding this guy, then finding all the remains, and then having to bring this all to, uh, you know, the number of crime scenes, the number of victims. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. So trial is tentatively set for January 6, 2020. But in January 2019, it's announced there's a significant development. And lo and behold, January 29th, Justice John McMahon hears MacArthur plead guilty to all eight murders. He loved to confess, right? He I did mean, make a beeline to the to the police yeah. pretty much every time. Yeah. Every time he was going to get caught, he beat right. them to the punch. 
Right. So he finally confesses, um, you know, he just, he loved to keep, he kept hair, photos, clothing, jewelry. He kept the ropes. He, he, there was a, this was weird. He had this thing about this, like this lady's fur coat. He used to like to put it on his victims. Um, There was something about the fur coat. Um, He also liked to strangle them with a metal bar, which is called garroting, because the more, you know, you can vary the the pressure as you're twisting it. There's there's a rope or a string around the neck, and you use the bar to twist it. Right. So you're not actually pulling the bar across the throat. You're actually making... A noose of sorts. and, and Yes, and it. you can lighten up the pressure to give them a breath, give a little hope, and then, you know, strangle again. Mm-hmm. Just just very all, sick. All so, control. Like right. You mentioned. So yeah. Canada does not have the death penalty. The, the strongest sentence you can get, he, he was given February 8th, 2019. He was given life with no parole for a minimum of 25 years. That doesn't sound like much, but hopefully that means he's not eligible for parole until age 91. Um, I, I doubt he will ever see the light of day. I would but, hope not. You know, but what now let's, you know, let's go back a little because remember I mentioned all of those people who were brutally murdered when mm-hmm. he first was in the Toronto area. Uh, somebody did this study that out of 8,000 8, murderers, not 8,000 murders, 8,000 murderers, only three were still killing around age 66. And almost never do serial killers start killing late in life. They, you know, they just don't. They start very young. Sometimes, you know, adolescents, teens, certainly by their 20s and 30s. Who waits till 50s, 60s to become a serial killer? So Toronto police uh, have identified 15 murder victims just in the gay village from 1975 to 1997, particularly 75 to 78 when he was just working a few blocks away. They were all gay men naked, tied to the bed, stabbed or beaten to death in what was repeatedly called overkill. Okay, that's, you know, that's got MacArthur written. Never solved. Yeah. They couldn't connect it to MacArthur and and he denies it. So um, the last couple things, I, you know, there was a, a big review of police procedures in this case which I think was more than warranted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would love to speak to that judge and the the one who did the psych eval that Bruce MacArthur was unlikely to reoffend. Wow. Well, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. But look at look at the time when he started versus the time he was convicted, and look at the change in technology yeah. that happened. You know, you went from a time when you really didn't have too many, if any, cameras in public, you know, close, close circuit TV at the time, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. uh, up to a point where now you have cell phones that are more powerful than anything that they had back in the beginning. You know, pictures on computers and all that, that that was unheard of, basically. 
when it started. So and DNA, the DNA mm -hmm. evidence that you right. mentioned, all that that really didn't exist at the start. So look at that that change of technology that helped close the case, really. Yeah. So your gut feel seeing the whole thing, do you think he just started in 2010 killing? It doesn't sound like it. I, I'm by no means a, an expert. I'm not a psychiatrist or anything. But no, the trend, as you mentioned, it starts much younger. It's like when, when these people get their first taste of freedom, leaving the household where they were abused or, or brought up, and now they're on their own and, and they turn around and become the ones in control. You know, I, I'm curious as to why it drops off as they get older. I wonder what uh, the explanation for that is. You know, yeah, just well, retirement age and they've had enough or is it? Well, I, you, you know, know, think of the the energy, you know, he's attacking, attacking, you know, younger men than him. You know, you're you're getting old mm -hmm. um, and then you have to cut up the body and get it out. It's in your apartment. Right. Right. You you Thank can't you. just walk out with a body. You know, somebody's going to know you have to cut it up in little pieces and bit by bit, bring it to the planters all around town. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, how he didn't he didn't get caught. But somebody made a good point. You know, landscapers, they just literally blend into the landscape. Nobody notices, you know, how many times you drive down the street and there's a crew raking, blowing leaves, cutting. You pay no attention to them because mm -hmm. they're everywhere. Mm -hmm. So what in a what a brilliant profession to choose for a serial killer. No one's going to say, why are you digging that hole over there? I'm a landscaper. That's yeah, what I do. There's nothing to draw attention. That's right. place. Yeah. And that's what he was great at uh leading double triple lives not drawing attention redirecting attention um and like you said when he did something and realized he was going to get caught oh here i am i confess oh wow i'm really sorry i did that um you know slap me on the wrist and let me go home mm -hmm. and uh so uh, why he did all this uh, he has not he has not said we have to infer but i think there's more than enough material to uh, get into the head of this guy if you want to go there. I, it's uh, that would be a long trip. I don't know <laughs> if I want to go down there, but you know, yeah. I, you some of them show remorse or at least express remorse, whether it's authentic or not. I I don't know, but I wonder if that just builds up over time as well, knowing that what they're doing is wrong, which they they understand it's wrong, but they do it anyway. They do it anyway. Yeah, I, I just think he had so much rage, you know, so much pent up rage and repression. And, you know, I, I go back to that, uh, the assault we started out with when that, you know, guy's getting hit in the head for he has no idea and looks back and he said the look of rage in this guy's face. Mm -hmm. This it, it, it he just this was a guy who could just snap and. You know, Andrew Kinsman, they had had a relationship, you know, getting along all that. Why does he suddenly have to kill him? You know, clearly it's not the sex. He can get that. That's not an issue. But he needed more than sex. He needed to kill him and, and degrade the body and keep it close to him. Mm -hmm. So 
wow, if that's not an image to uh, end the show on. Yeah, something I'm, I'm kind of glad I don't really understand. Yeah, <laughs> I don't exactly. need to go down that path. Yeah. Exactly. So that is our show tonight. Um, justice prevailed, I guess. A uh, little late, but, uh, you know... It, you can't look at these cases in the in the same light as normal human beings you know no. who thinks this this way so anyway so that is it we have more twisted disturbed cases for you <laughs> coming up oh, you always do linda you always get me <laughs> <laughs> and thank you brian again yep. for uh your brilliant co-hosting i'm never going to drive past a, a large planter the same way again yeah. Yep. Who's your landscaper? Oof. Yeah. yeah. I don't have any large planters. <laughs> oh, good. Good. Keep it that way. Yeah. So thank you everyone for listening and we will see you back again uh, on Murder in the Hudson Valley if you not are not a victim of murder in the Hudson Valley. HudsonRiverRadio.com, your local Rockland County station.